Hello guys, we are back with another episode of Kek and Sakinki. We will be finishing up Persian or Iranian philosophy. Last time we were left off with the original choice between good and evil with Zoroaster and we will be finishing up philosophy today. Hopefully you guys will like it and without further ado, take us away. is a very important part of Zarathustra's teachings. In the material world, it is possible that the truth, or Asha, will not be realized. So there's a spirit that promotes Asha and one that opposes it. This is the dualism that Zoroaster kind of focuses on. Okay. The world is a moral reality where there is always a movement towards goodness, but also a movement towards evilness. And this is kind of the central aspect of the religion. E evilness is a word? Mm. Badness? Evil. Evil? That's it? Yeah. Evil takes so the forms. world. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the world. <laughs> the world is a moral reality where there is a movement towards goodness, but also a movement towards evil. And this is the central aspect of the religion. Mm -hmm. I cannot pronounce it for the life of me. So, so every Zoroastrianism. Time, every time I'm going, I'm like, Satura. Next. So do I. So am I. Every single time. Which, I mean, definitely was influential so in Thoreau was definitely a move towards evil <laughs> listen that scary. it's scary it's so good it's so good anyways is Prissy Jackson in it what Logan no. Lerman I mean no who's in it who's famous um Josh Hutcherson ah oh, Josh Hutcherson yeah. and Dax they're in Shepherd this and Bella Swan I oh. forgot her fucking name Kristen Stewart Kristen Stewart you see all of those are in my same like white actors box like really? typical American actors huh. except Dax Shepard because he's a comedian yeah yeah okay anyways <laughs> love that you guys tune in every week to just hear us make movie and TV references yeah okay so I'm gonna take you back to the reasoning behind this kind of dualism thing so the Ahura Mazda or the wise lord he has an opponent a destructive spirit, and this guy embodies the principle of evil. His followers, who freely choose him, are also evil. And this ethical dualism is rooted in Zoroastrian cosmology. He thought that in the beginning there was a meeting between good, the good spirit and the destructive spirit, who were free to choose, and in the words of the thing, it makes them choose between life and not life. <gasps> Stop! Stop. Shut the fuck up. Look at what I'm about to fucking say. That's why they believe that the dead are possessed by evil and that contact with humans or fire should be avoided. So instead of burying or cremating the They're dead, dead, they leave them in open areas so that they can be eaten or naturally decomposed. What? Yeah. And kind of the thing about fire uh -huh. is that to them, fire is an infinite thing. So the dead evil can't touch fire because oh. it represents the wise lord and it now go mm-hmm it's oh my, insane oh my god it's insane oh my god this you. is my my brain is making so many connections right now right right i feel so much smarter right now see wow you're welcome oh my god like i could go into a massive tangent about what all of like what all of this is doing to my brain right now but i won't because this podcast is not about that yeah but i could <laughs> Okay, so this original choice gave birth to a good principle, or the kingdom of justice and truth, and an evil principle, the kingdom of lie. He's obsessed. Yeah. However, well, he's obsessed, but we know where it comes right, from. Right, I mean, right, right. We gave right. a pretty good 
thorough background. Yeah. So Ahura Mazda is the father of both spirits, who were divided into the two opposing principles, only through their choice and decision. Okay. So they're one and the same. Yeah. Which again, a lot to do with Taoism, because mm-hmm. they are opposites, but they complement each other. Yeah. Not only uh, Taoism, but... Um, Yanatin? Yeah. In Peru. Yes. Yes. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, so the only thing here is that um, this is not an eternal kind of dualism thing that's happening. In Zoroastrianism, it is believed that the wise lord, together with the several qualities or spirits that I mentioned before, so basically this wise lord and the six spirits that represent the qualities that, you know, we want to achieve, they're supposed to defeat the spirit of evil at some point. So this message implying the end of cosmic and ethical dualism seems to constitute Zoroaster's main religious reform. Okay. That's it. That's all I have. Ah, great. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Sorry, See I, you. I wrote an next sentence and it didn't make sense. <laughs> so this is going to be like a little bit before the eschatism thing. Eschatology? Yeah. Okay. Eschatology thing. Yeah. But mainly the whole thing is that at the beginning of time, the world was divided into the dominions of good and evil. Between this, each individual was bound to decide. Right. The same is true for the spiritual beings, who are good or bad according to their choices. From their freedom of decision, it follows that human beings are finally responsible for their fates. Through their good deeds, righteous persons earn an everlasting reward, namely integrity and and immortality. Those who opt for the lie are condemned by their own conscience, as well as the judgment of the wise lord. So basically, they not only go through self-judgment, but they're also... They also are judged by the gods. Right. <gasps> oh yeah. my god. So, after this judgment, one must expect to continue in the most miserable form of existence. Oh my god. <laughs> one that more or less corresponds with the Christian concept of hell. Right. And according to Avestian belief, so mm-hmm. the book, mm-hmm. there is no reversal or deviation possible once a person's decision has been made. Oh. Thus, the world is divided into two hostile blocks. Right whose members represent two warring dominions. You know what I would say to this, though? That when people are like, oh, because we will talk a little bit more about this later. And we're we're actually going to close with that. So I'm just going to give a little precursor. Yeah, go. I don't think it has as much impact on Judaism as it does on our conceptions in, like, the Eastern Christian, like, the Eastern Christian church. Mm -hmm. Because in Judaism, you didn't choose to accept or reject God. You cho- okay, you chose him because in the like Talmudic writings, it talks about how, you know, Israel or Judea became like a prostitute and they turned their backs on God. Mm-hmm. But it was more it was more like they were chosen. They were the only ones who could choose God, if that makes any sense. Okay. So, but still. Ah, this is so interesting. Okay, okay keep going. But we'll talk about yeah. that. I'm going to literally about to go into free will. Nice. So another uh, important part of the philosophy, it's, I think it's a little bit unintended, but it you know, happens. Yeah. Is this notion of free will or this notion of individualism, what is known for some as the first enlightenment. So the Avesta is not a book of prescriptions on how to be good. Mm-hmm. Sarasustra or Zoroaster wanted the followers of um, Ahura Mazda to arrive at the correct conclusions by themselves. He believed that no one could look injustice in the eye and not recognize it. So it was the responsibility of each person to do what is right. Zoroaster struggled to see the benefits of tribal life as it led led people to have a deterministic perspective of life. Nice. But 
He believed that one had to act with good thoughts, good words, and good deeds, and one could, and this could not be determined by the many. It was up to each person to listen and make judgments by themselves. Oh, so basically, he called for a transition from tribal perspective to an individual one, where oh. each person bore the responsibility of their actions. There was no way you could be judged by the God or by yourself if you could justify your actions as, well, they told me to do so. Right. So he was like, right. enough with that shit. Yeah. If you're going to go to heaven or hell, you're going to do it because of your own actions. Right. Shit. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty cool. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Okay. And? Okay. This topic is literally blowing my mind. It's insane. It's really fucking cool. I'm sorry. I'm looking at the next section. Yeah. So this kind of thing, I watched this video of like 40 minute video of some guy who's a Zoroastria, whatever the fuck. He's like 90 years old. A sweetheart. Man, oh. so insightful. <laughs> yeah. So basically he talks about this whole thing about, you know, first you have choice and then you have the consequence. So you have a choice that can be right or wrong and a reward or a punishment that stems from that choice. Right. So we constantly judge our own actions based on if I desire the outcome of the action or not. Mm-hmm. And the only way I can judge if the outcome of that action is good or bad if I, if, is if I speak the truth. So basically... Okay. If I know that this action, if it makes me uncomfortable in any way, there's something wrong. There's a flaw. And if there's a flaw, it's not the truth. Yeah. Okay. So you have to justify it somehow with, right. you know, whatever, right. whatever. Mm-mm. Miss me with that shit. It's going to add up to your good place points or your bad place points. <laughs> oh, this is blowing my mind. Yeah. So that is the final judgment. That is your own final judgment before the other right. final judgment it comes from. Uh-huh. The main judgment date. date. Yeah. Yeah. Going to the last, I think it's the last part, the almost last part. Yeah. So all of these, all of his teachings are what are known as eschatological teachings. Sorry. Eschatological teachings. All of his teachings are eschatological teachings. Mm -hmm. So almost every passage contains, almost every passage of the Avestra, Avestra, I think. I forgot the name already. So almost every passage contains a reference to the fate awaiting individuals in the afterlife. Each act, speech, and thought is viewed as being related to existence after death. Wow. So the earthly state is very connected to the state beyond, in which the wise lord will reward the good and punish the bad. This motive for, do, for doing good seems to be the strongest available to Zarathustra in his message. Mm -hmm. So after judgment is passed by Ahura Mazda, the good enter the kingdom of everlasting joy and light, and the bad are consigned to the regions of horror and darkness. Wow. Oh, and fun fact, the word that we use today for paradise comes from Old Iranian. Mm. Old, yeah, Old Persian language. Because listen. Um, it, it, it was um, a word in Persian for paradise, and then it, it went to the Greek, and now we have it. Hmm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I love languages. <laughs> so do I. It's incredible. Okay, so quick pause here. I actually got really curious about this word because I didn't really talk a lot about it, but I went to look it up. And for those of you who are curious, the word paradise originated, I'm reading off like an encyclopedia page here. It originated from Old Persian, um, the word paridaiza. I don't know if that's the pronunciation, but it meant walled enclosure or like a pleasure park or garden. It's kind of like an orchard with lots of, you know, life. 
and Pyridaeza came into Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, retaining its original meanings, and it appears three times in Hebrew scriptures and in later rabbinic literature. In the Septuagint, Septuagint <laughs> the Greek word for garden was usually translated by the Greek paradeizos, and in Genesis, paradeizos refers to the original Garden of Eden. So that's really cool. All right, moving on. Okay. So Sarasustra, Sarasustra, however, goes kind of beyond this whole heaven and hell thing. And he announces that there is an end to this phase of the visible world. Yeah. So he, what he calls the last turn of creation. And yeah. in this phase, the evil spirit will be destroyed and the world will, will be wonderfully renewed <gasps> and inhabited only by the good who will live in paradisical joy. It's insane. The fucking similarities are fucking insane. Okay. So again, going to what the old man, the sweet old man says, I really hope he's not like, like a racist. <laughs> that he was probably a racist. Oh, the old man from the, the YouTube? The old man from the YouTube video. Oh. <laughs> not Santa Sustra, he was obviously a racist. <laughs> Actually, we cannot. Conceptions of race didn't exist until yeah. the 17th century. Yeah. So, okay. So what he kind of explains, and he says it pretty simply. Oh. He's like... And if you want to learn more about the conceptions of race and their origins, stay tuned to this podcast. We'll reach someday. Yeah, we, we will get there, hopefully. Okay. Something that was very interesting about this interview with a Saraustrian, I guess, he emphasizes a lot the fact that it's not a book where teachings are, you know, self-explanatory. Right. You need to look, you need to read, and you need to analyze. Yeah. But what he talks about um, when it comes to this part that we're on is that heaven and hell are states of consciousness of our spirit. There are different ends for different souls, and it is the consequence of your life choices that lead you to one state after you die. The only thing that I struggled a lot was the fact that I don't understand how they they believe that death was evil. Just that if you were dead, you were possessed by an evil spirit. I don't know. What about the good people? I don't know. I don't know what. But you know what? You know what? In Judaic and Christian conceptions as well, mm -hmm. actually Jews, not so much, but there is also this... Oh, if you believe you have eternal life. Oh. And what eternal life means is so much up to, I guess, interpretation of just scriptures or the philosophy itself. So to them, it could have meant something like what we see today with Christians who say, you know, the, your life is over here on this earth, but you live on with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ! So put on, put on the God! And to kind of finish this section, <laughs> we have that the most prominent aspect of eschatological descriptions is the allotting of a reward or punishment in two ways. Wow. Again, I'm just kind of repeating this part, but there was first a verdict reached by the divine judges. So main dude and the other six fuckers. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there was an automatic oh determination God. of a person's merit. In every case... The final judgment or eschatological situation, whatever you want to call it, constitutes a reflection of the person's worth, and it is final in the sense that whatever the person, what was entirely the person's responsibility while he was alive, is no longer on his hands when they're dead. Yeah. That's why if you read the Avest, Avestra, what are they Calvinists? <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen. Okay, okay. 
Which is why it's really interesting because when you read the book, it's super cryptic. You have things like, <laughs> he says, don't flaunt your wealth because you'll have to live it soon. So every, every sentence, every passage, every hymn is kind of finished with this, like death. Yeah, just being death like, remember you're going to fucking die. Yeah. Remember you're going to fucking die. Oh, that's yeah. so, like, apocalyptic. And now, two fun facts. Whoop. First of all, is there are commandments in the... I need to read that name again. In the Avestra. Avestra, are you sure that's it? Or Avesta. There's another one. Okay, super quick fun fact for Avesta. me first. Through the unification of city-states, there's, like, this huge interplay between northern Indian religions mm -hmm. and Zoroastrianism. So they find a lot of similarities between the deities, of the scriptures, blah, 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 blah. So there is a northern Indian sort of counterpart to the Avestra, mm -hmm. whose name I forgot because we were, we were not really talking about them, but I find that really interesting. There's actually a few uh, more works because, again, it is a very... Yeah. How do you call it? It's a very general book. Yeah. So there's a lot of um, later scriptures from other uh, branches of the same religion mm -hmm. that are supposed to be read with the Avesta, but not on the, on its own. So you can't read... Right. So, so think of it like the Torah. The Torah is a compilation of them reading Talmudic scripture mm -hmm. and then their interpretations, their scriptures, what they what then they make of it. They're like their mm -hmm. studies and... Stopping here for a quick correction. This is actually the other way around. I got this wrong in the recording. But the Talmud is actually the compilation of commentary that was made by rabbis for several centuries um, about the Hebrew Bible, which was the Torah. Um, so, other way around. Moving on. Oh my god, my brain is freaking out. My brain okay. is melting. Let me, let me go through, okay. Fun fact number one. There are commandments. So, there are a few commandments, and this is the summary, which is, I think is going to blow the minds of so many people. So, first, commit no slander. Greed <sighs> is a no-go. Do not indulge in wrath. Suffer no anxiety. I wrote that one for you, girl. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, you're going to hell. <laughs> commit no lustfulness, bear no envy, and practice no sloth. Count them. Fucking count them. No! Stop! Yeah. And then finally, this one. That I'm anywhere gonna fucking lie. So there is forgiveness of sin. He kind of teaches and he's like, the law of our Mazda indeed takes away from him who confesses in the bonds of his sin. It <gasps> takes away the sin of breach of trust, the sin of murdering one of the faithful, because, you know, if you're right, unfaithful, of course. there's yeah, no sin. They can die, who cares? <laughs> yeah. It takes away the sin of burying a, a corpse, the sin of the deeds for which there is no atonement, and it takes away the heaviest penalties of sin. It takes away any sin that may be sin. Oh my god. I leave you to talk about how they influence later shit. That is literally what, what we wrote about. down in the document. Okay, so if you guys haven't figured this out yet, Zoroastrianism is believed to have basically shaped Western societies. And it is this really rich Persian, Iranian... Uh, uh, tradition that yes there it has dwindled but it is thought to have literally shaped the west for millennia and my brain is literally like losing it over this because i had only really um looked up how it was influenced and not you know we we divide our research so we don't know everything we're already going to say to each other yeah we like to keep a little mystery in the relationship oh god <laughs>
<laughs> so I am like freaking out because in the study of Judeo-Christian religions and then Islam and the, how all of these came about, Zoroastrianism and how old it is, is kind of like at the heart or it, you really find Zoroastrian traditions, beliefs, cosmogonies, cosmologies amongst all of them. The one thing that I was telling her earlier that I'll tell you again, like, whatever, is that it, it's odd for me to be like, oh, okay, yeah, Zoroastrianism shaped Judaism, when Judaic writings already started existing before they were sent to exile in Babylon, where it is, um, you know, where it's suspected that they got influenced by Persian culture and religion, and that then their beliefs came from there, to Judea Judaism... After when the second temple was rebuilt, aka when they were they left exile from Babylon, where it is said that they got influenced by the Persians, their traditions grew very differently, and they did not have that same belief of there is a God who forgives. There is yes, there was a belief that there's a God who forgives, but only for particular people. Do you know what I mean? So people who were like David. He was like, I, you know, fail once and once again, but your spirit, it heals me and I'm forgiven. Like, I, you, you overlook my, you know, basically you cover me with you. But for the common, just anybody who was Jewish, that wasn't really a belief. Okay. Um, mixed with the fact that ethnic Jews or the Judean people, people from Judah mm -hmm. or the chosen people weren't always believing in God, nor were they always practicing the Jewish religion, okay. if that makes sense. Um, so like we talked about in our first episode ever, <laughs> yeah. um, they Come were also the Near East! Yes. They were often even polytheistic, overlooking what they had been chosen for, quote-unquote. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, so I do find a lot more parallels with Zoroastrianism and Christianity, okay. the modern Christianity, because Zoroastrianism, Zoroastrianism, sorry, and I wrote it down in my notes before, is also messianic. Okay. They believe that there would be a day Ooh. where there would be a savior, or not, maybe not come to earth or anything like that, but they were messianic, there was a savior, and the, everyone would be forgiven. Another difference that I find between Judaism and Zoroastrianism that I, that I think is important to note is that Judaism is inherently exclusive. To this day, conversion to Judaism is frowned upon because there was a certain people who were the Jewish people, mm -hmm. who were the people of Judah, the descendants of David, the antecedents of the Messiah, etc., etc., etc. So um, there weren't believers or unbelievers. It was more like we are the chosen people of God. Yeah. That changed with Christianity. Because one of the main things that they killed Jesus for, <laughs> and then the subsequent apostles and the first century church, mm -hmm. was that they said there is now no division between Jews and non-Jews, right? That that is the uh, at the time they would say and Gentiles and uh -huh. even some yeah. you know today there's neither Jew nor Greek. Anyone can now be a follower and find their sins. Blah blah blah. They were diversifying. Yeah. The one thing that I would say is the main difference is that there was still a lot of dogma mixed with this idea of a personal, like a personal examination of what sin could be for you. There is this like 
how do I know that I'm obeying or disobeying? Yeah. And it's like, well, if you feel like you might be disobeying, then just the fact that you keep doing it is probably a sin. Yeah. Right? Like, your conscience plays a big part. But there is also still this very clear dogma of what godly behavior is and is not. That's very But this is literally boggling my mind because it there is often this conception of how there is this divide between the East and West, the Muslim world and... Oh, not to mention how much this impacted Islam. Yeah. And, you know, Islamic belief in the prophet and and the conception of God, the one God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But there's often this idea that there's a divide between Western and Eastern cultures, right? Yeah. And that there is Christianity and it has shaped the entire world. and, And we see through this that there really is this deeper level of connection between how our worlds have come to be today. It's really incredible to me the more I investigate about the past. Yeah. How we are we are used to, you know, people telling us things and you know, they get to the they reach the point where it confirms their thesis and they stop. Right. So you stop learning about all the things that maybe tied us together as people. Yeah. And you just foster the wrong idea, man. Yeah. It's, and it's so common. If you were a person who reads the Bible today, <laughs> which, well, but if you are, you might want to pay closer attention because there's a lot of, um, first of all, Cyrus the Great is very much in the Bible. Um, they talk about their religion. They talk about their customs in the Bible. And then they talk about, you know, similar things, similar uh, customs that may have even derived from culture instead of, we inherit this from God. Yeah. Because we do know that a lot of it is about context, which is one of the reasons that when we are reading ancient scriptures, we know that often it means what the authors wanted it to mean. Yeah. Not what we want it to mean today. That's, yeah. Right? And so we can take from the context of when it was written, where they lived, what they were doing, who they were doing it with, right? There are people who, in the, you know, stories of people who lived in Babylon, and it talks about all of these things. Um, and so... The it ju- we can observe in real time the influence of the religions of the places where people lived, mm-hmm. the customs, how they grew up, and whether they rejected or accepted that in in the stories of the people who lived at that time, which is incredible. <laughs> I mean, this topic was insane. This topic this was one of great. our best ones. Honestly, this was really great. We really hope you liked it because we our brains are melting. We're looking at yeah. each other just like. this is super great and we hope that we can delve deeper into the persian empires how they grew and how they fell and it's definitely something we're gonna come back to and if you found this interesting please 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 rate us on itunes it is a way that we come up for other people on itunes so if you like it then maybe someone else will like it too yeah uh follow us on instagram we are at keck and sakinki with an n instead of an and and yeah if you want you guys can donate to our patreon yeah if you're feeling generous you can find the link in our instagram as well and i think we're done we are done thank you so much for staying with us yeah and see you next week if you have any questions email us at kekansakinki at gmail.com or dm us yeah i mean i manage the instagram i promise to be a little bit a little bit funny at least (laughs) nice all right guys stay tuned for our topic reveal next week